Tuesday, November the 28th, 2023. Let's gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We will begin with our scripture of the week, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, and a piece by Pastor Emily Larson entitled, There's Something About Sheep. Then, Pastor Emily and I will talk scripture and about the HBO comedy series The Righteous Gemstones and all the ways that it is applicable to actual ministry in the actual world. But first... A reading from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. My husband and I love to homestead. We have it all planned out. We have grand dreams of big gardens and chickens and ducks and someday, when we finally have the space for them, sheep. We have it all dreamed and mapped out in notebooks. So many of our friends who homestead have goats and they certainly have their place. But I personally love sheep better. You see, sheep have a shepherd. Goats have a herder. When you start to spend time around these livestock, you start to see the key differences between them. They can both be stubborn, they can both be rambunctious, they each have their role on the homestead, and they can all sometimes seek to exert their own personality into any situation. Both can be used for milk and meat and wool, so why sheep instead of goats? For me, it's because sheep have a shepherd, goats have a herder. Sheep will hear a shepherd's voice and follow. They know their shepherd who cares for them. They follow their shepherd willingly, knowing that the best place for them to be is in the shepherd's care. And while I have known a few spoiled, bottle-fed goats that do the same thing, as a whole, by and large, goats tend to want to do their own thing. They want to go their own way. 
and they have to be herded from behind with livestock guardian dogs. It can be really tricky getting an escaped goat back into the pen, and they are notoriously masterful escape artists. To me, this demonstrates one of the key principles that Jesus is trying to get across in today's scripture. While both sheep and goats have ears to hear Christ's instructions, sheep willingly follow, while goats tend to want to do their own thing. In John 10:27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. When we belong to Christ, we become his beloved sheep, and he becomes our king and good shepherd. When we follow Christ, we know that we are cared for. We know that the best place for us to be is in the care of our good shepherd. As we continue to look at Matthew's apocalyptic writings, along with the parable of the ten bridesmaids and the parable of the talents that we looked at in the last two weeks, this parable of the sheep and the goats points to the end of times, where there will be a judgment coming down from Christ as King and Lord of all. Here we see those who are blessed entering into Christ's kingdom as his faithful and loyal sheep, and those who chose to reject Christ's kingship and do their own thing instead. Sheep who follow their shepherd willingly are rewarded. These blessed ones have demonstrated their faithfulness to Christ by following Christ's example, performing acts of loving kindness while here on earth. Their true faithfulness in Christ's teaching has led to a fruitful life, bearing witness to and following the example of their shepherd. Jesus gave us all a charge to care for the hungry, to welcome the stranger, to care for the sick and the estranged of this world. We are called to care for the least of these. Jesus didn't just tell his disciples to do these things. He demonstrated them during his time here on earth. He fed the hungry, he healed the sick, he ate with the estranged and isolated people of the world. We, as his sheep, are meant to emulate that example. Service to the least of these concerns all Christians everywhere. The charge to minister to and to care for those in prison comes right after Jesus warns his disciples that they will all be persecuted for his sake. You see, prison at that time was a holding place for those awaiting trial instead of a long-term punishment. It was up to the individual's family and friends to provide for them while they were incarcerated. Surely, soon after Christ's death and resurrection, there would be many more Christians taking up space in prison cells, and it was up to the believers to care for those who had no one else to look after them. The righteous did these acts of kindness to the least of these, without any idea that they were doing them for Jesus. Jesus says that whenever they gave food to the hungry, welcomed a stranger, clothed the naked, or visited the sick or imprisoned, they acted in kindness towards Jesus himself. Jesus can identify with the least of these because he walked in their shoes. It's what makes him the best shepherd. Stanley Hauerwas writes it like this, The difference between the followers of Jesus and those who do not know Jesus is that those who have seen Jesus no longer have any excuse to avoid the least of these. In Christ's kingdom, there are no longer any oppressed. Nobody goes hungry or thirsty, naked or alone. There, everyone, even the least of these, is welcomed and everyone is cared for. In Christ's flock, 
when you can be counted among his sheep, you also are cared for. And so we too must take on this charge to care for others. If we truly are following in the footsteps of our shepherd, we will learn to notice those who are on the fringes of our circles and welcome them in. Who is Christ calling you to care for? To bring into the safety of the sheepfold. Who is Christ calling you to care for as Christ cared for you? So uh, as you heard in the piece that I just did, and if you uh, got to listen in to the the sermon on Sunday, that was me too. Uh, Pastor Trey got to take a well-deserved vacation. We're we're, uh, finishing up this block of Matthew 25. It's all of this... uh, uh, apocryphal texts, right? It's all about the end times. It's all about the end times. Right. It's the 10 bridesmaids. It's the parable of the talents. And now we've got the sheep and the goats. And so uh, it just talks about, you know, what is this kingdom to come and what's it going to look like and um, what does the future hold? And so all of this uh, from Jesus talking to his disciples about what comes next in uh, their series of events and trying to prepare his disciples for this. So it was really interesting for me to get to delve a little deeper into the sheep and the goats. Um, for those of you who, who got to listen to it, y'all got to hear a little bit more about my uh, obsession with sheep <laughs> and yeah. sheep farming and how I would like to be a sheep farmer someday, which is, you know, one of my personal goals. But it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> so I, so it's interesting on the, on the sheep. So I've heard two different perspectives on sheep. And I think it 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 boils down to the same thing. It's just how does your psychology handle that, right? So I've heard that sheep are stupid and goats are smart. Also, goats eat tin cans. And so maybe independence. eh. (laughs) And goats eat through all of the fencing material that you could possibly get, which is why goats are really hard to contain. Um, But, you know, sheep, a little bit smarter. (laughs) So so again, like this is the like – if you are the kind of person for whom independence is a really fundamental value, you look at the goats and you go, yeah, the goats, that's where it's at. And then you like, sheep are dumb. <laughs> they follow somebody. But they're the definitely feel- dumb. But, but they're definitely dumb. And so this is analogy, not reality. But there, I think you hit on, because again, you know far more about sheep than I <laughs> may ever. Uh <laughs> As not a homesteader. Uh, You hit on, I think you hit on like the useful way that maybe an agrarian society who knows these animals far better than, you know, city kid me does might have seen it of the sheep have faith in a shepherd and goats eat tin cans. (laughs) Yes. Did y'all see, there was recently a TikTok going around. Um, There was a lot of short form video going around. There was a woman out on a run and the sheep had gotten out of their pen and they started to follow this woman. So she just inadvertently took them on this run through the hillside. Like, what am I supposed to do? But they're following the leader animals. (laughs) And so maybe as like, you know, long-term survival of agriculture eh, maybe you know if you're looking for a low maintenance uh, a lower maintenance or, or you know i guess it's not lower maintenance because they're going to eat through your fences but yeah but fundamentally maybe this butts up against the thing that we are uncomfortable with but need to become more comfortable with is that fundamentally there's a shepherd and we ain't it yes. and 
we are not meant to be fully independent. And I say this is a person who, like, really values my independence and, you know, does not like constraints on my life, but has to recognize that the life of faith is fundamentally a constraint. And so to be a sheep is to be fundamentally led and leadable, and to be a goat is to not be. Uh, And from a faith perspective, because... This is about following the good shepherd. This is not about following any old shepherd. This is not about being led in wrong directions. This is about recognizing that we are being led by the perfect shepherd. And when you are being led by the perfect shepherd, what you need to do is be led into the places that the perfect shepherd wants you to go, which is, by the way, caring for people in the world. Yes. And recognizing that that has cosmic consequences. Right. The way that we live our lives here has cosmic consequences. The way that we treat one another as a whole, as a people, as a herd, right? Right. As a sheep herd, um, as a whole matters. Those things matter. The other piece that I think you you teased out well is the way that we don't just drop right back into good old-fashioned works righteousness. It's always right there. It's always right there. (laughs) And yet... Because you highlight the bit about it is the faith in the shepherd that then me leads us into these places, right? That right. It starts with, it starts with faith. It, it starts, starts with, with faith and knowing your shepherd's voice. Right. And there's so many good scriptures about yeah. Christ being our good shepherd. I quoted on Sunday, you know, probably if nobody can quote any other scripture, they can probably do Psalm 23, right. which is the Lord is my shepherd. shepherd. Right. Well, and, um, and, and and Psalm 23 makes the pitch that I think we're used to thinking about um, this idea of shepherd, right? That he, that he shepherd, you know, that God is going to lead us to places that are good for us. Right. right? Besides that's still the, waters, laying yeah. down in green pastures. Or, it's, the, or, it's the good part. Or through it. hard times, right? You know, yes. it, it does have the valley, the shadow of death. Um, right. Like, Even in hard times, you're going to have the shepherd who comforts you. But the other piece of that, that I, that Matthew 25, or certainly your take on Matthew 25 is hitting on, is that the shepherd is going to lead us in the places that the shepherd needs us to go. This is how it fits with all the other things in Matthew 25, that it is be ready for the, you know, bridegroom and also use your talents, you know, to build God's kingdom and also in the final calculus it's not that you've earned your salvation it is that your faith that true faith back to a thing that I say at least once on podcast that is the 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 piece that I certainly felt missing from the preaching I grew up with is true faith motivates Yes, we don't. motivates you to do the things. Have ye fruit would be right. the question, right? Your right. faith is true, and so it is bearing fruit accordingly. Right. That, you know, I, I, I have no end of frustration of all the different excuses of why, you know, oh, I don't need to go to church. That's technically true, but you're really missing the point. You are or, definitely you know, missing the point. Or, you know, I, I am saved because I believe. Yeah, yeah, okay, uh-huh, yeah, totally, absolutely not taking that away um but like uh uh it has this uh has this encounter uh changed you in any way uh right. and some of that is individual morality right are you 
you know, caring for yourself, you know, in ways that is worthy of God? Are you, you know, avoiding, you know, are you avoiding the hurting of other people, right? right. That is one aspect. But the actual call isn't to, you know, not smoke, not do drugs, and don't hurt people, that that's a Christian life. The Christian life is actually, again, as pitched here in Matthew 25 and elsewhere, is about the proact- God leading us into the proactive love of neighbor. Yes. And specifically in this scripture, yeah. the least of these. Yeah, the neighbor. least, last, and the last one left behind. Mm-hmm. But it, it, yeah. Absolutely. And, and so it is, you know, out of this develops, you know, out of this and, and other scriptures develops, you know, things like liberation theolo- theology, which would say that very basic gloss would say that God has a preferential option for the poor. Right. right. That, that one of the ways you can read Matthew 25 and, and honestly, you know, I, I would not claim to be a liberation theologian. I'm not Catholic. I'm Methodist. But I have seen some of that play out in the real world. Right. That you know, what I think a, a Matthew 25 based read of a preferential option for the poor is that if you find yourself the naked, the imprisoned, the whatever, God is working in the hearts of people to send you help. And so that means you're going to get something that someone else might not because they are not naked. They are not starving. They are not in prison and thus without resource. Right. And so that is God does. And it is, you know, this is the, I was a special ed teacher. And so you have to talk to students about what is, what does fair mean? Right. Right. Because fair is not the same. Fair equity doesn't mean is everyone, not equality. Equity is not equality, right? Like fair doesn't <laughs> right. mean that. And, and so, you know, this is the this is the oldest special ed teacher trick in the book. Um, is you take a x amount of money in bill form and you put it very high up and you call on a short student to go pick it off. And if they can pick right. it off, they get it. And then you call a tall student off, and obviously they're able to just grab it, right? And you go, well, that's not fair, right? Correct. Because it is not. It is about equality. It is about everyone getting what they need and everyone's going to need something different. But that does mean that like God is going to route resource via those who have to help those who have not. And that is not God being unfair. That is God making sure that all of God's people are cared for by you and and via God's God's people. God's I was saying that's God's people making sure that everyone is cared for. Because of the example of Jesus Christ, because of this faith in Jesus Christ, that calls us to a higher right. standard to then go and care for the least and the last. Um, and so that's that's on us, right? That's where we get to go. Be the hands and feet of Jesus is uh-huh. what I've this heard is, it called. This right? is the unfortunately we're the plan. Periodically, right. one of my favorite things to do in sermons, and I've done it relatively recently, is to look at the church and go, you're the plan. You're the if plan. You were, if you were looking for a plan... You're it. You're the plan. We're the plan. <laughs> the the God's people are the pl- the capital P plan here. Yes, is us. Like there's a modest Yahoo song that says, "I look to the sky where my help comes from," and it's it's a good line, and that's true. And we look to the sky, uh, but sometimes we forget that the the sky is in us, right? Yes. Like yes, we look to the sky where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord. Yes, but how? Okay, so this is where it gets to the second order, right? Sometimes it is just God moving <coughs> in, I was going to say in miraculous ways, and it's all miracles, but in the, like, the, the miracles that require no other human input. 
And then it's the everyday miracle of God working in people, which is a miracle. Uh, All altruism is a miracle. Uh, You know, this is, you know, all, it's miraculous. And And it's the movement of the Holy Spirit in that person to move and motivate that person to then go and do on behalf of this building of the kingdom of God that we are all a part of actively promoting and actively working towards. And it goes back to the heart of faith that we have ended up, you know, God, God bless the Reformation. We're, you know, as Methodists are a byproduct, you know, a byproduct of it in the Enlightenment. But God bless the Reformation is we just got way off track. And actually, like, if you really dig into this, um, which, you know, you and I had to in seminary, um, you know, if you read the output of the Council of Trent, which is the kind of, not kind of, is the Catholic reaction to the Reformation, they're going to end up saying the things, essentially the things that I'm about to say. That, like, yeah, no, we're saved by faith. Absolutely. We're saved by faith. But, like, that faith does something, right? And this is, John Wesley strays into this, too, and he is talking about it more on the personal, right? But he, a lot of his early work after Alders, even before Aldersgate, but certainly after Aldersgate, where he has his big heart it's very heart strangely british. warmed it's, yes so british he felt his heart strangely warmed this is a british <laughs> person describing emotion for the first time it's, <laughs> it's just like you know just what a profoundly british man um describes this like really intense presumably very intense religious experiences i felt my heart strangely warmed <laughs> bless an emotionally repressed people um but john wesley strays in this too where he differentiates between assent and faith, right? Yes. And he's talking about faith is something that is – this is not about do you recognize the existence of God, right? right? That is not faith. That is, in John Wesley's parlance, that is assent. I guess it's a right. kind of faith, but that is not the kind of faith being described in the Bible, being described as faith that saves. It is not merely an assent that that God exists. Right. And what John Wesley will end up teasing out is it's also not a momentary recognition that God should be a priority in your life. Right. It is a lifetime lived seeking two steps forward with one step back, perhaps, but seeking to make God the central priority of your life. That right. faith it, that motivates, like you were saying. Motivates. It's the faith that motivates to action. Right. That it 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 leads you on a journey. And again, the, the grace exists for the two steps forward, one step back part of that journey. Um, you can always, you know, to me, the beauty of, of Wesleyan theology is you can always move forward and you can always move backwards. It's, yeah. it's, it's fair that way, right? <laughs> you can make progress and you can regress and both are possible. And that, you know, again, I, I like things that match my experience, lived experience of human life. And, you know, I, I, in that way, I end up not a particularly systematic theologian, which is only a thing that academics care about. Um, because in the end, what I love about John Wesley's kind of 
idea of sanctifying grace, which is that you move, you journey in God and you grow and God changes you and you can always change yourself back and then God will help you change again, uh, is it matches what I have noticed in the human experience of people make progress for a season. They might slip in another direction for a season, make progress for a season, right? Like that, like that ebb and flow of hopefully you still end up, you know, further along the journey than you were. Right. And all of that begins with God's grace, God moving first and us having faith. And and that's where it is not, all of this is not works righteousness because it starts with God. It Um, starts with, it always starts with God. But who, what was that old song that said faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine? No, I didn't know that. I don't know that song. This is, just, you know. It's a great old song. I feel like it's an old gospel song. That might be why. Um, but it's it's not a bad analogy. It's just, you right. know, um, well, a screen door wouldn't do the, a lot of good. The, but. the album that my weird band put out, um, it did not go very far. Um, but I have like 25 <laughs> copies of it in the drawer. <laughs> Um, I feel like you should post some of that music somewhere in the sh- world so I that should. people can go and find it. Like yeah. post the link to it in the show notes. Yeah. But the, so the, the mythological founding of, of six hours uh, was that our, the first song that we ever did uh, was grace like rain. By the way, that's not true. Having been there at the founding of six hours, I don't remember what our first song was, but I do remember it was not grace like rain. Um, I was there. Um, but so we called the album uh, because the mythological founding of this, this, you know, thoroughly mediocre. Actually, that's not true. It was. A, so the lead singer of it is now like a professional. Um, we called him Cappy, Sam Morrow. Look him up. He has an amazing recording performing career, not as a Christian artist, um, as a secular, like kind of Americana. Uh, anyways, um, so one of us even became a professional musician. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh uh, so we called the album It Starts With Grace. And that is also how we don't fall into works righteousness with all of this. Because it, it still it starts, starts with, grace. with grace. It still it starts, starts with, with God moving first. Um, but once God moves, then we should be motivated to we, move too. To right. get off our bus and go do something about it, right? That's where... Then that's why we did all of Matthew 25. Yes. <laughs> in, a, in a real way, that's why we did all of Matthew 25. Because Matthew 25, partic- I mean, actually all three of them, right? It's three apocalyptic parables. Mm-hmm. All of them frame this as, yo, the stakes are high. And we, and to me, we need that balance, right? When we get into other seasons, and actually I'm working on writing the next series now, um, and theoretically I'm finishing it like tomorrow or Wednesday, um, I don't know what it is yet, um, but we talk a lot about grace, and I think that's really important, but we've got to balance that with the stakes remain high. We just, right before I left uh, for break, we did uh, Revelation 5 and 6 uh, in the our Revelation study, and it's really tough because it's all this, like, death and destruction, and God's the one who's like, get, go, yep. That go do that, and, yep. and we don't like it. We get really uncomfortable with that, and, and we have a lot of like, you know, all of us, whether we grew up with this or not, have 
religious trauma from Hellfire and Brimstone. You know, your what is the Jonathan Edwards? Your good works are but a spider web suspending you over a fiery pit. Whatever. Like, it's intense. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard that one before. Oh, it's a class. So it's 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 from. Okay, now I'm gonna fact checking is the enemy of podcasting. Okay, let's see how fast <laughs> can I pull up sinners. In the hands of an angry, it's an American cloud. It is lit. I, le- oh, I learned about yeah, it. I yeah, learned yeah. about an American lit. Um, oh my! Edwards. Yeah. Okay. Let's. But see. all of us have heard that turn or burn theology. You know, you picture the old, you know, tent camp revivals and the, you know, very sweaty preacher up front telling you all you better come down for a, you know, rebaptism and come to the altar or else. Right. Um, Okay, come so. on, give it Norton Anthology. Here we go. Come on, Norton. Oh, it's short. Oh, that's zoom in. Good God. <laughs> very, very small font. Let's see if I can find this. Oh, I'm never going to. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some. There we go. Here we go. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear you in his sight. You are 10,000 times as abominable in his eyes as the most hateful venomous serpent is in yours. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot. That's intense. Yeah. Um, Uh, Yeah, I hadn't heard that one before. I'm going to have to go read that. Yeah, that was no. not one of my required readings. Now I'm intrigued. Yeah, I, I, so I, I, I went to a super secular uh, private school, and we had to read. This was in whatever American Lit anthology. This is long before I was, you know, um, I knew any of this stuff. Um, but yeah, no, it's a lot. And so, how dreadful is your state of those that are daily and hourly in danger of this great wrath and infinite misery? But this is the dismal case of every soul in this congregation that has not been born again. However moral and strict, sober and religious, they may otherwise be. Oh, that you would consider it, whether you be young or old. Oh, my. That is intense. (laughs) Oh, sinner, the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of fire of wrath that you are held over in the hands of God, whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread, the flames of divine wrath flashing about you and ready every mo every moment to single singe it and burn it asunder. Wow. Yeah, we all have trauma. Yeah. We all have we like given that exists in the world. Right. And so <laughs> we've be, all they, heard some variation of right, it. That just happens so to be the, you know, mid to late 17 1700s famous american literary version of right of that of that turner burn theology yeah and so it becomes really difficult to into to express without a way that we don't want to traumatize people i don't think that's god's goal i don't nope. picture 
you know, God's dangling you over the fire, just hoping you to let you go, right? Like, like right. holy cow, right? Like, I, I don't want to, but I also don't want to exist in a consequence-free universe where, like, you can just go through life and do whatever, man. It's going to be totally cool. You never need to endeavor to do the hard work of change yourself because, like, it's chill. No! <laughs> also, no, right? Like, no to Also, both. no, right. No and no. How do we, like, I'm usually a yes and guy, but how can we be no and no? No and no, yes. Right. That That is definitely a no and no. No and no, right? This yeah. is not the, you know, the, the, what I have unfortunately named the Alan Jenkins dilemma after Alan Jenkins, who, by the way, turned out to be a lovely adult. I have ran into him a, a year or so ago, and you know, anyways, but he was the pastor's kid, and, you know, he knew everything about theology, and I knew nothing. And he was like, I'm saying and so I'm going to go to heaven no matter what happens. And I'm 15 year old me is going, huh? Like, but then why do we talk about all the other stuff? Right. Like, right. why does all the other stuff matter? Why do our works of mercy and piety matter? Right. right. And so it, it's neither that, whatever that, unfortunately, this poor 17 year old young man who I knew <laughs> is, is, has an entire, you know, theological dilemma named in my mind, named after him. Uh, it's not his fault. He's, you know, he's a teenager too. Uh, I, if you if you if you discover him on the internet after this, send him well wishes. He was wonderful and he was very nice to me. But he taught me a lot about theology in the negative. And but the other side of it was like we don't want to be Jonathan Edwards because I don't. I really. It's not that like that's really what I think, and I just don't say it because I don't want to scare the visitors or whatever the heck. I really right. don't think God wants us to f- this really seems centers in the hands of an angry god that i didn't know we were gonna be talking about tonight uh it, i don't like i just don't i really don't think that's how god works i really don't think right. god wants us wants to crisp us over the hellfires i i don't read that in today's scripture or the other ones in matthew 25 or even in revelation like you don't i don't read all, that in scripture all of it if someone ends up lost you get the sense of disappointment Yes. Right, even in the even in even last week's text, even in the 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 parable of the talents, right? Like, right. God is not setting you up to fail. Right. God does not desire us to. God does not. God holds you over. I realize I already read this line, but it is a. This is the opener, right? That this is awful. What it's a way awful. to start a conversation. God, the God that holds you over the pit of hell. Much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. Ah. That's terrible. But you're right, because God is not in the business of torching people. God is in the business of redemption, right? right? And so I feel like when that business goes south and redemption doesn't happen, it's not on God's side of things. It's on ours. You know? Well, and that's and that's the piece. That's of, our choice. That's the choice piece. That's the yes. other thing I never want to leave out of this equation, right? Always grace. Our always choice. grace. Always this matters. However, yes. you want to define the stakes, right? If you want right. to really invest in the hellfires, by all means. Um, if you want to simply talk about peace versus void, which is more where I think about this, right? That they you right. know, as opposed to sheep go to heaven and goats go to hell. Right. right. Again, I, I really, as with last week, so with this week's, I think there's hyperbole at work here. 
Yes. Right? This is, but it is hyperbole to still set the stakes of, look, in the end, the idea here is you get grace for free. You then are inspired to take this seriously, and you do. And you always have the choice to opt in, and you always have the choice to nope out, and then opt back in again, and then nope out again, and then opt in again, right? But we also yes. are not, because that's the other thing we end up doing over and over and over again, world without end, is finding interesting ways to take choice out of the equation. Right. But it's that motivation to change. It's that motivation to do good works. It's that motivation to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the sick and care for those in prison that comes from true faith, true repentance, true turning your life towards Christ and recognizing God as your lead shepherd and following that shepherd. That's where that comes from. Right. It's that I, motivation to true change. I am going to close Sinner in the Hands of God or I'm going to sit here and read it for the Probably rest a good of idea. the episode. It is... Yeah. Terrifying. And it's terrifying. <laughs> and so again, I no, I don't want anyone walking away, you know, really walk away from a podcast, but you know what I mean? Right. Coming away from this podcast with like, man, they really think I'm going to fry. No. No, no, no. no. But also, no and no, right? right? But also, we should not end up with a faith without stakes. Right. A faith that says, no, nah, dog, it's all right, man. I can like, do whatever I want now. I can do whatever I want, man, without consequence. I have, like, found Jesus. Yes, good. You found Jesus. Praise yes. God. I'm sure glad. No, no. We are now just doing a bit from that movie. We are just doing a bit from <laughs> Jesus Revolution. Uh, yes. Lonnie is coming along, right? But that's not actually what Lonnie <laughs> said, right? Like, you know, Lonnie, like, what you see even in that movie, in those, like, you actually see life change. I mean, they talk like this, man. But, like, they're actually digging in and doing the work. Right. And so it's not just like, you can do anything you want now. No, that's Gnosticism. <laughs> Instead, it is to, I guess, to hold both, hold both, all, you know, so much of theology is actually. Holding hold, things in tension. Holding things in tension. That yes. it is God's free gift of grace. God wants you to succeed. God is going to be still be there for you when you stumble, period, the end, no matter what, right? There is not a thing you can do before believing, after believing, during believing, after and then during and then before, whatever. Like, there's just all not the a thing. All, all throughout, the time. yes. All throughout, yes. there's not a thing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That hasn't changed. Ain't changing. It's a fundamental fabric of reality. And, and yes, and interacting with that love should change you. Yes. If you really comprehend what that love is, if you really comprehend what that power is, what you really comprehend what's happening here, that that should change you. It should. Right. And like, motivate you. Right. And you know, to I, I, action. And this is one of those, like, on a really personal level, like, you know, I look, you know, how I judge a uh, another person in my life's relationship is not do I like the person they married or dating, whatever. It is, 
is that relationship bearing positive fruit in their life? Yes. And there are people, and I'm not going to name names, because some of my family may listen to this show, and my friends and family (laughs) may listen to this show. But there are perhaps spouses or long-term significant others that I don't like in my, you know, extended um, connection. I'm using very deliberate words. Um, There are some of them I don't, I just don't like. We are just not simpatico. I don't like being around them. Um, We don't get along. We see the world differently. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Right. I hear that. We've all got those people in our lives. But I tolerate, more than tolerate, actually celebrate their presence because the person in my life that I knew before that it's in my life is a better person for having encountered that relationship. Yes. Right. And so, and and I think about my own marriage, right? Like I was not the like upstanding moral human being that perhaps I should have been um, prior to Sydney being in my life. And I am because I have encountered that relationship. It has changed me. For right? the better. For the better. And so like this is this is, you know, not everyone's marital relations are like that. I understand. But like that's the analogy. this is an analogy, but that's to me a useful way to think about this of you have this tremendous source of love and power in your life. And they have for you definitely you know, the bit that Jonathan Edwards gets maybe too right. Is you don't deserve it. I'm not gonna, not at all. gonna call you whatever bug you guys called you. Don't um, need me. to be a bug or a spider. You're not or, a bug you know, or whatever. God does not have thread. God does not abhor you like a bug, but you don't we don't deserve it. Not at all. But that's the point, right? But that's that's the, point. the point of that love. That's the motivation is that we right. don't deserve it and God loves us anyways and extends that grace to us anyways. That's the Matt, part that should motivate you to the action. And the Matthew part. 25 is saying, and James 2 and, and the other things that keep coming up as we journey through this whole chapter is, and that love should definitely motivate you. The idea 100%. is that it's going to motivate you. This is actually like a trick that directors use. Uh, they they teach you this in, uh, in, in directing uh, that, uh, uh, if you want to see an actor do something, tell them they already did it. <laughs> and then they may rise to that. Because That's they, clever. Yeah, no, it's really, like, dastardly is what it is. Uh, does this work in parenting, too? Yeah, it's, I it, it does. To, it does. Uh, you got to be careful with this, this right? So, it, so it, you do it often with, like, character traits. You can do this as a teacher, too, right? Like, I really appreciate that you're honest. You don't know if that kid's honest or not, but it, you've given them the character of honest. And so now they may well rise to be honest, right? Or, you know, I, I really like the way you portrayed sadness there. Maybe they didn't, but maybe now they will. Um, and so, like, this is the thing that God has done for us. God has given us the characteristic redeemed. We did not earn it, but maybe now the idea is we rise to the rise occasion. Rise to that occasion to and that occasion. become the redeemed. person that Christ become, intends us to be as God's redeemed people. Right. Yeah. And so speaking of some wildly unredeemed people, <laughs> uh, uh, on the other side of the break in the How to Restart a Church segment, I'll admit it is the most abstract version of the segment we've ever done. Uh, we, 
I made Emily watch eight hours, nine hours of the Righteous Gemstones. Um, and we're going to talk about it uh, after this. We'll be right back. <laughs> And we're back for how to restart a church. And uh, we we so we watched all of season one of The Righteous Gemstones, a, uh, a TV MA comedy, a very yeah. MA, very uh, MA. We are not endorsing. We are not you like you know. Uh, it's <laughs> a lot, a lot of swearing, nudity. Uh, murder weird amount of weird amount of violence uh lots of swearing it's not not my normal kind of tv show at all no it's a lot Uh, a lot of smut a lot of smut we again a weird amount of smut uh for uh for for a uh for a thing that we're gonna talk about on a on a on a on a christian show but so why we but, it makes a good example of a what not to do. Right. Right? Yeah. This is our uh-huh. the negative example. So I'll, I'll give the like for those of you who, who, who are not going to go watch this, which is fine. It is very well done for what it is, but I understand what it is is certainly not for everybody. It's hard uh, to watch. <laughs> it is a TVMA comedy uh, by Danny McBride and also in some ways starring Danny. Danny McBride is one of the stars of the show. Um, on screen as well, about a mega church running family, the Gemstones. The dad, Eli, played by John Goodman, has established this like absolute, like, you know, like stereotypes to the nth degree mega church slash televangelism thing where there's like a theme park and they have not just right. one private jet, but three private jets the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah. Each. Each member of the family has this giant mansion. They've got a, you know, stadium size, you know, stadium scale worship center. And, you know, they have just all kinds of money. And so, like, the one of the, like, in the opening sequence, you see them flying back from a, a mission in China. And when they land, they're greeted by this, like, you know, just fleet army of, of cars, fleet of cars, a fleet of very and, fancy cars. And so they and... each ride back in their own, after flying back in a private jet and they own three of them, they drive back in their own Mercedes, each in a Mercedes G wagon, which by the way, costs like 150 grand. Um, and then they go to these giant, so they're like extremely Huge wealthy. Huge houses. Yes. Uh, just crazy money. And they are also, incredibly profane and incredibly like for the younger generation for the the three kids of Eli Gemstone they are just in it for the power the money they 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 uh so the kind of inciting event for season one is that the eldest uh kid uh, Danny McBride's character, son. They're not children; they're adults. The eldest, uh, uh, you know, adult gemstone child has. Uh, there's a video that a blackmailer has of him and his guys, his church guys, at a church conference in Atlanta, doing drugs and interacting with sex workers. Yep. And the threat. So the whole plot is them trying to get this video back, and it leads to all sorts of shenanigans, and it's very poorly handled. <laughs> yeah, and 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 again, uh, uh, 
least more than two people are murdered. Right. Um, it's so Emily, my question for you is why do you think I made us watch this? <laughs> as, as a not what, as a what not to do, right? As a, you know, it's interesting. It makes me think of the times that we have seen this in real life yeah, or yeah. similar things in real life. You know, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, if y'all haven't listened to that podcast, um, is a great expose on, you know, Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll and all of those things that happen there. Um, there are more than one megachurch stories yeah. where things come out um, because when you put your pastor on the pedestal and you end up worshiping the pastor instead of worshiping God. Well, and, um, and, and when you have that much, different, and right? when you have that much money coursing through it, right? Money and power and yeah. fame and all of the above. Um, not that money and power and fame are bad, but money and power and fame in the wrong hands used in those wrong ways. Yeah. Um, but claiming to be for the glory of God, it's what gives the rest of us a really bad name, right? Yeah. So it's- that's part of it. The <laughs> other part of it is, so this is an outsider. This is an extreme, but this is an outsider view, right? This is not – so that I love, you know – I love the rise and fall of Mars Hill um, as two people who had to clean up after a narcissist. Uh, you know, I found, you know, that story, you know, I think I've talked about this in the pod before, but um, that story, when you get to the post Mars Hill churches and I'm just like, you know, incredibly yes, emotional. We lived that. We lived that, right? Like we, we, we lived that. We led a church to recover from the, you know, the work of a narcissist. And, and so, but that's all, insider media right and so that is and that's part of what makes it powerful right like you know mike cosper taught me a lot about the mystery of god working in broken places i hear that like that intro from that show a lot in my own mind it's also about the mystery of god working in broken places in Um, the midst of those broken places in the midst of those broken places this is outsider media this is you know, because it was it was clear that yeah. like even Jesus Revolution, although made by Lionsgate, that's insider media, right? Like right. that is you know Christians telling a, that happens to be Christians telling a largely positive Christian story. Um, Rise and Fire of Mars Hill is Christians documenting a largely negative. Although again, it's also about the mystery of God. This is outsider right. media. This right. is Hollywood looking at a lot of what we're doing. And And highlighting all of the worst parts of it. Right. All of the worst parts of it. And this is, so some of it is, yeah, like this, you see a lot of the themes that we have talked about before. But the other part of it is, in a very real real way, this is also about the stakes, the stakes, right? Because when the world looks at us, they wonder, are we, are we just the gemstones? Right. And- too often we are just the gemstones right like we but are that, but that the gemstone God works children. in spite of us right right like that it's also very humbling to remember that like because the holy spirit works in the broken yep. places right yep. that god works in spite of what we do mm-hmm. so often because we are the broken people doing the broken places things yeah even at our best of times when we are trying our hardest um you know sometimes the Holy Spirit gets it right anyways uh, in us, but that God works in spite of us, but not it, because of us. I think the other 
the other part of it is the you see in the show the differing motivations, right? So you look at Eli Gemstone, John Goodman's character, who I really think is just, especially as the seasons go on, he's just in an entirely different show than everybody else. And by the way, that show is better, right? Because John Goodman is playing a reasonable, reasonably believable take on a faithful but flawed man, right? Eli Gemstone does really believe um, he's also profited massively off his ministry and has moments of discomfort with that while also doesn't sell the private jet. He right. is jets, cho- plural jets, Three. excuse me, the father, father the son, son and, and the Holy spirit. spirit. Right. Yes. Um, he, uh, but his, the, the, before the show, uh, starts his wife who was really the heart of the ministry has died and he is feeling lost because really felt like she was the spiritual glue and he's trying to wrestle with how does he be a spiritual leader and this all starts to sound like realistic stuff because John Goodman is just playing this he's a gem of a gemstone um he's very well played very uh, well played. Though. I mean, he is too quick to anger, and he clearly has insufficiently disciplined his children, and he tolerates their bad behavior and has some bad behavior of his own. Again, he is, uh, as a pastor who is also too quick to anger, maybe I just, you know, want to grow up and be like James Gemstone. I just don't want my own theme park. Oh, I forgot. Did I mention there's a theme park? There's they have a their theme, own they have a, theme park. They have their own theme yes. park. But, yeah. but then the – but Eli, you know, throughout the first season – Right. Like he's like, you know, we've really just lost our way. And, oh, we need to find, you know, with your mama gone. It's just and then you look at the kind of the, you know, the comedy trio of, you know, the, you know, Danny McBride's character who is self-important and has like 1970s pastor hair, even though, you know, he's, you know, a Gen Xer. Right. Uh, You have the daughter uh, who uh, um, is off-brand Molly Shannon, right? Like, yes. very a Molly Shannon of SNL fame, kind of. It's not played by Molly Shannon. I always look it up. It's not Molly Shannon, but it could be. It's a Molly Shannon-type character, where, like, yes. very reactive, very dumped on, but very devious, yes. also weirdly sexual. Sorry. Um, yeah. And then you have Kelvin, who is the youngest, um, who is every youth director stereotype ever. Yes. Um, every yes, youth he direct- is. Yes, every youth All director- of them. All of them. Um, All together, yeah. And But none of them have a spirit, as far as I can tell, and three seasons later, it's still kind of true, they have no spiritual core at all. Right. It is all uh, fame, money, glory, power, and sex. Right. Um, for them. And so it, it is an interesting, they do not mean us to reflect theologically on this. Um, they mean us to feel mildly called out, and we should. But you can see the contrast of of Eli and the younger folks and see the results, right? The, the ministry is built by Eli, and over the course of three seasons, uh, the younger ones do everything possible to try and kill it, and also kill several people. Right. Also, very interesting plot line. Several people die. Well, um, so the truth is, I, I said this to you before the show, and I guess I will own it publicly. We could have just watched the pilot. If, if you feel led or are a little skeptical, 
You could just watch the pilot and you're going to know everything you need to know about the show. Because the pilot. Without your children in the room. Oh, yeah. Without your children in the room. Don't watch it with kids in the room. No. Um, There's. Yeah. Weird amount of nudity. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. But you're right in that. The world, Hollywood, you know, the average person who is not an insider to the faith, the person who has not grown up in church, who has not seen the church except from Hollywood's view or watching random or, televangelists or the news, watching right. the news, exactly, watching the fall of the televangelist or the fall of the megachurch pastor or the fall of their local church yeah. pastors um, in your local news because these things do happen. And, um, and, and then that also is look- how... And they look at the they look at the excesses and these are just played out to a comedic degree. But in some ways, other than I don't know anyone with a theme park, all of the excesses, all of this other and, you know, this is comedy, right? This is absurdist comedy. So they take it to an absurd degree. So, yeah, I don't necessarily know any megachurch pastors that killed two guys in a parking lot to avoid a blackmailing thing. But I we certainly know of. You know, pastors large and small who have large churches and small churches who have fallen from, you know, whatever moral failing. But they look at we look like people are like the world's watching. People are watching. And and when you see the people, you know, they wonder why you're passing the plate. Right. They wonder why you're passing the plate when pastors wearing a thousand dollar suit and you can't make rent but they're asking you for this is in the first episode too this is all in the first so the they're having some sort of women's gather that all the gender roles are very traditional uh, very 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 misogynistic by the way um and so they're having some sort of women's meeting and and the danny mcbride's character's wife uh is you know uh oh it's just so to go to give and i don't get anything for it and one of the congregants is like yeah you do you live in this mansion. And she's right. like, oh, no. Oh, this old thing. Uh, and she's right. like, no, like, you, like, people give their money and you live in this mansion. And then she pulls the spirit. Then she moves very quickly to spiritual abuse. Well, you got the devil inside you, don't you? I see. It. And it's gone now and everything's fine. But, like, literally, like, right. you've got the devil inside you because this is what you're bringing up. But right. that, but that's a, like, that's a real, when people look at the excesses. Yes. That's a, like, is this just about living in nice houses? Is this just about, you know, and, and even for me, is it just a pastor who's paid, you know, as a full-time job? Like, right. It, even, even outside of that, it's the excesses within the church. Yeah. The churches that have all the lights and the screens and the fancy instruments and the fancy stage props and that, you know, it starts to look like a show or a concert instead of or the or the Or the thousands, or the thousand seater mid-century modern uh, uh, box. Right. And they look at the excesses and, and like, that's a real, like, this is, this is a Hollywood absurdist comedy, but watching this, I know that too much of it is grounded in reality. Comedy is only funny if there's a grain of, part of what makes comedy funny is the grain of truth to it, right? Yes. Or, or certainly this kind of comedy, this kind of, you know, incisive social commentary. Like, there's a grain of truth, more than a grain, a large dollop of truth. Yeah, yeah, the gemstones don't exist. And I don't really think that any of us are so, are as prurient as they are. God! Right. I it hope is not. To a ridiculous degree. 
to a ridiculous degree, but... But... A lot of these things have happened, right? And so, like, Kelvin is just pre- is youth director personified and preachers and sneakers personified, right? The, like, right. super expensive everything, right? Like, again, right. three private $2,000 crosses and, you right. know, that they All- were around their necks. And-, and, and you know, even Eli. So, like, in, I think this is also in the first episode. Jesus. Uh, you know... Some local pa- some local pastors are coming to the gemstones because gemstones are going to open a new location in a nearby t- town, and the pastors are like, "Look, we have healthy ministries. This town is served. We don't need you," and they go there anyways. Now, right. it ends up being resolved. Oh, that's the other thing is uh, Eli. Uh, you you said you didn't quite get to quite watch the finale, so Eli right. hires that pastor. After he oh, throws good. a after he throws a potato through his window, and uh, uh, Danny McBride gets one of his friends shot when they go to do a raid with some sort of ridiculous, uh, yeah. There's a, again a lot of violence. A lot of violence. A lot of ridiculousness, friends. And a but, lot of people die. Yes, but also there's that that sense of entitlement that you yeah. see throughout the show that they are above the law, that they yeah. don't answer to the regular law because they're God's gift to the world, right? Uh-huh. They are God's messengers. So they don't have to, you that, know, that they deserve this, that they absolutely deserve this. Yeah. It's and, very much a theme throughout the show. And that's where, again, when you like where the, the three adult children are parody and John Goodman is realistic. Some of it is, and you learn this over the course of the show, is that John Goodman grew up poor, was not born into a life of privilege, remembers when the ministry was tent revivals. And so he's seen that, like, that arc of what it took to get there and, you know, understands that, like, his wife was really maybe why this worked. Then you get the wife's, you know, failed brother, brother baby Billy, <laughs> Uh, right. Uh, who plays the like stereotypical lounge singer, but what if he was Christian? And he's all, he, you know, he's a true huckster. He's always hucking something. There's always right. an angle. He is just as purient as the kids are. And just in different ways. Just but, yes. in, but, it, but all of it, even Eli, it is this question of what are you really doing this for? And what's your true motivation? That goes back to our scripture today yep. is, you know, have you truly encountered the love of God? And if you did, it would have changed you, right? It would have motivated you to have better action. It would have borne real fruit, not just the superficial. Right? But I also, I think that also gets at maybe my other motivation for us watching this and it, it being on this segment is it really asks you the question, why are you making it? Why are you yeah. building it? Why do you wish to restart it? Why do you right. wish for it to be big? Why do you want new members in your pews? Is it because you want to have that number because that number is important to make the budget? Or, or, the, or, or the, you know, or, or private jet number three or right. whatever. Like why? Whatever the case may be. Or is it true discipleship that's happening in your congregation? Right. I, you know, I think a lot about, you know, I live in a city surrounded by mega churches, right? And I think, but I think we all have to find that balance and ask ourselves those questions of, hey, uh, with the resources that we have, what are we doing with it? 
right? Mm-hmm. And the money, you know, obviously the gemstones, this is comedy, and so it becomes the easier target than any of the churches in my immediately immediate vicinity. But like with the what could you have accomplished with the money that you took to build the the theme park? Right. Uh, again, like this isn't even about Or to fly the jet fuel the, that it took to fly you to Or to own back. three jets. Right. right. Like, you know, maybe and I don't I certainly don't understand jet number one, but jet number two and three, the sun and the Holy Spirit. Right. I, no. Right. And those things are 10 grand an hour to fly. And so yeah, right. they flew to China. So that's a so 14. Hour how flight. much good could have been done? Right. With for the, the 140 you know. grand that it took for one leg of your China trip. By the way, they, they baptized people in a wave pool, and then the wave pool turns on and it ends up in utter mess. And that's hysterical. Yeah, it's hysterical. You know. As you know, as a person who's nearly drowned while baptizing somebody, I'll tell you, <laughs> yeah, I, I understand you're baptizing someone and then the wave pool comes on. I got, yeah, you know, yeah. pinned be- underneath a very large dude underwater, unable to, you know, resurface. It was a lot. Uh, baptisms, <laughs> day, you know, it's a simulated dying, perhaps. For some of us, just a little less stimulated. <laughs> But you always have, you know, I guess the theme of the show today is tension. But, like, you have that tension of what is your motivation? What is our motivation, right? This is as much for us to examine it as anybody, right? Like, what is our motivation in wanting to build a thing, to rebuild a thing, to make a thing bigger than it is? Right. Is it, you know, again, I I don't think any of us are as purient as – the gemstone children as a ridiculous example of the gemstone children but is it the gemstone children of i want this big so it can be big because it sure does feel good when it's big and i sure do like stepping out on that stage and you know oh my god and and having the money and the and the prestige and the power and the whatever is that why we're doing this or is it or has our ministry grown big successful whatever out of the life change that people are finding out of the ability to serve people. And if it happens to get big, great. And, and this is another one of those things, like some of your actions may not look a whole lot different. You may end up having to just build a really large building because you just can't hold all the people and it's just, you know, working out. And so you got to build a thing. Um, But the gemstones are, 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 you know, are largely faithless. That yeah. it is uh, at one point, Kelvin uh, is disappointed. I think this is in the finale. Uh, this, where Kelvin is disappointed that he's not Jesus, right? <laughs> like right. he's sitting on the couch with his siblings, and and he's an idiot. They're all idiots. There's the yeah. only person that any brain cell. Oh, there's two people with brain cells. Uh, uh, Eli and Eli's um, advisor guy. Everyone else is dumb as a bag of hammers. Uh, <laughs> and Kelvin is disappointed. That he isn't Jesus. That he thought he might, until he killed a dude, helped kill the dude, he thought he might be Jesus. Right? These are just, these people are with Objectively terrible. Objectively. <laughs> objectively terrible people. And. But preaching every uh, chance they got and right. have a very well, large and- audience. And have the very large audience and know all the right words. If you listen to it, you will hear every church right. stereotype, every bit of stereotypical language. Even all in of their it. personal prayers, you hear yeah. the, you know, by themselves, it's be quiet, I'm praying, darn it. Only they don't say yeah, darn it. No, they don't um, say darn it. 
there's a lot of cursing in that show. But, you know, even in their prayers, it, it's not that they're saying the wrong things. It's that they right. say those things and none of it's gone from the, you know, there's no genuineness. There's no. Gen- there's no true faith. There's no true change. There's no true relationship and interaction with the love of God. Right. It's just, what can I get? Yes. What can I get? And how can I enjoy it? And it is it is a church run by hedonists. Yes. And I would love for that to be, it is a beyond ridiculous whatever. And also... There's it, a measure of truth to it. <laughs> things like this exist keep happen. in the world. We keep yeah. doing it. We keep being gemstones light. And so, you know, it's also one of the few shows, like you watch a lot of, you know, I watch this with Sydney and it was like, I, I travel a lot. Uh, I have traveled a lot in the past couple of months. I, I have to remind no, honey, I am not, uh, you know, doing drugs and visiting sex workers when I am at a conference. Like, it really is not, it really is not that. It's really not happening. It's yeah. really not happening. It, it's not. That's just not, uh, you know. Uh, but it does have, like, it, it does happen and infidelity does happen and it happens and it gets blown up in the news media because when it happens in clergy it's yeah it's media worthy Um, yeah and but yeah it is what's your some of this is what's your motivation and some of it is the the world has noticed that we are not always so good at this right and we're never going to be perfect because we are still fallen people. And it's very easy to fall back on that. And then in every, you know, notes app apology from every fallen pastor always falls back on that. Uh, right. Well, I'm, you know, I'm just a sinner, same as you. And, and that's true. Yes. And also, and you know, this is, this is in whatever Timothy it's in. And I'll never remember which one. Um, first, I don't know. Don't quote me. I'm only the preacher. Um <laughs> You know, <laughs> Paul told you it was going to be like this, that yeah. they're going to look at you and they're going to hold you a higher standard. And uh, you're supposed to try. And and it just be that way sometimes. And just be like that way sometimes. Sometimes it just be like that. And, and, and this is true for me. And, you know, anyway, right? Like, like, I, you know, the, what is the song? Someone told you, no one told you life. This is friends. No one told you life was going to be this way. No, in this case, yep. uh, Paul did tell you. Paul did way. tell us it was going to be this way. Told you it was going to be like hard. This. That it was going to yeah. be hard and that people are going to look at the ch- what's happening in the church and make their decision about how much value is in the church. And when right. you end up the leader of that church, it's only the more so. And is that fair? Yes. Maybe not. But it's but real. it is what it is, yeah. And it and is so no, we also shouldn't put on like fake perfection because I think that only we've talked about that too. Like that only does that's that, by the way the outward that face does more the damage. Gem, the gemstones yeah. are all pretending to be perfect, right? Um, and meanwhile, they are incredibly hedonistic. Uh, yeah. And so it, it is, it is still about it's you know I guess this directs directs directly relates to Matthew twenty five. At some point, you are going to have to try. Right. You're not going to succeed, but you're going to have to try. And some of the things 
are easier to avoid than others. Sometimes I get mad and yell at people in the congregation. I need to work on that. That is hard. It is, I have found in my experience, uh, far easier to uh, avoid infidelity. Because that is, uh, takes much more commission to accomplish. Fidelity is not hard. (laughs) Well, or or rather, it is at least simple. It is. Right. Don't do it. Just don't do that. Right. Um. But, but true. And, you know, it is, the world is watching, yeah. you know, the world is watching. It's the greatest single cause of atheism in the world is Christians yeah. profess Christ with their mouth and then go out and live a completely different lifestyle. It's that. And run over blackmailers in a parking lot. Right. But I, I, this, I, this, that this is, that there's the grain of truth in just about all of it. And the bit about finding the money in the ceiling, right? That they literally, right. this is that literally. <laughs> that came out before. Yeah, that came out before. Story. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, some years later, uh, uh, they found money in the wall at, at Lakewood, at, at Joel Osteen's shop. Um, and it's a little different, right? Like, I don't think it. Uh, we actually, it wasn't in the wall. It wasn't was, the children's area, though. She it was in a bath. In the vent. Yeah, she hid it in the vent. Uh, at, right. at Lakewood, it was found in the wall. Like they right. were renovating a bathroom and found $300,000 just in a wall. Like a most of a year's budget for us was just like in a wall. Um, enough money to float Lexington United Methodist Church for a year and a half was just like in a wall. Yeah. Uh, Meh. Uh, and it was a huge whatever. But, like, that was after, like, there's this scene in the pilot, also in the pilot, where, like, they need a million dollars because they're going to pay the blackmailer. They end up killing them, but they were going to pay him. And, and she just goes and gets it out of the vent. Out of the vent in the fifth. The money from the in, church. In the fifth grade uh, children's, uh, uh, fifth grade children's room. By the way, this is how yeah. I hide Christmas presents, is I just hide them at the church. I don't feel this is not embezzling. This is just like, you know, I'm going to be taking delivery of a, of a of a large object soon. And I'm going to hide it at the church because <laughs> I, I don't have a house. I don't live in a gemstone-esque mansion. And so I don't have enough space in my house to hide this thing. And I have to do that. But that's because I my husband is a snoop. He is a if he if he finds it and he shakes it, he knows what's in it. He doesn't have yeah. to open it. So yeah. I have to be really creative and hide my Christmas yeah. presents elsewhere. I used to hide them uh, back early in my marriage. Uh, I would hide them in my classroom. And now I just hide them at the church. And yeah. this is, you know. Uh, so I understand the joy that you can, you know. Clearly many people have hidden things around us and we just still haven't found them. But if someone hid $300,000 in the walls of this place, I really would like to uh, see if we could... Wanna- uh, I want to look for the room of requirement in that building. No, that's, it's it's, got to exist no, somewhere. No, I, I've said this. This building is like the room of requirement, but bad. What if the yeah. room of requirement is kind of broken? Uh, right. Everything is here somewhere. Yes. You just have to find it. You just have to find it. And it's not, but unlike the room of requirement, it's not going to come to you in a sensible way. Right, like you can't just like think of candles, and the next door you open is candles. You have to think of candles, and then wander the place for hours. But eventually, you will find candles. <laughs> I. We need to do a scavenger hunt there with youth and see what they find. 
Yeah. Like just do a random find me the weirdest whatever it is in categories and we then found set a, them loose. We found a Game Boy in the attic. We found yeah, it everything All is right. in, in here somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways, this is as good a place as any uh <laughs> to bring this into an end. Um Emily, did you did you enjoy your encounter with the gemstones? <laughs> I don't know if enjoyment is the word, but it was eye opening for sure. Oh <laughs> sure. Not yeah. my usual te- no. choice of television show, but uh but it, it seemed, was eye opening for sure. It seemed like an important work of fiction. Uh, for us right. to, you know, to, to experience in, and, and, and that draws out ponder. A, that draws out a lot of the themes of like, <laughs> what does it mean to restart a church? Anyways, we will be back with another episode next week. If you have thoughts on the righteous gemstones, <laughs> uh, and why did we do that? Uh, you can email us at thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. We would love to read your thoughts on the air. Uh, this show and everything else we do here in the Media Lab is product of Servants of Christ United Methodist Parish and is brought to you by a generous innovators grant by the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. If you want to know more about what we do here, hear sermons, hear other things that we do, understand this world of ours, just go to Servants Now on all the things, TikTok, Instagram, the internet, ServantsNow.org, Facebook, YouTube, not Twitter. Uh, yeah, it's just it's, we're Servants Now um, everywhere. And uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.